Welcome into another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Alex Duvall. How's it going, man? Joel, I am fantastic. Winter is in full swing here in Kansas City. It's gone from 19 degrees to 59 degrees in the last couple of days. So good to be home. Good to be in Kansas City where the weather is as bipolar as ever. Yes, I'm in Oklahoma still. I live in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And yeah, it's been about the same. It's been fluttering between like the 20s and the 60s the last few days. It's been weird. But without, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time, you know, shooting the bowl with you because we have a huge interview and we have someone joining us tonight that doesn't need much of an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. Stolen base king in the minors last season, played between double A AA and triple A in the Royals organization, spent some time in the Dominican Republic, kind of became like a little cult hero in uh in uh and got a huge cult following from Emily Cut 4 and, and in the DR as well. Nick Heath. Also on the 40-man roster this season, hopefully we get to see him flying around the outfield in Kansas City this year. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. It's definitely been a long time coming. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. It's always good to talk to you guys. I love interacting with you uh, on Twitter. You guys make it make it funny to laugh at, make it easy to laugh at. So good to, good to speak to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we, we've wanted to have you on for a long time. I know we talked about it last summer, but you know, you were having a, an incredible season down in Northwest Arkansas and then Omaha, and then you go down to the Dominican Republic, and I want to start there real quick. Talk about your experience there, you know, from the stuff that you posted on Twitter. It seemed like you loved it there. So just talk about what it was like to, to be down there and play ball there. That experience in the Dominican Republic was absolutely amazing. I, I can't tell you the I can't tell you how many times I've had to tell people the difference between uh, baseball there and baseball here, but just just the overall atmosphere, I guess I'll dive into it real fast. The, the overall atmosphere is absolutely unbelievable. Everything they do down there is just, it's it's celebrated like it's a walk-off. You can walk, you might have two hours to be down by four or five in the ninth inning, but you get a 3-2 walk and the crowd's going crazy. But, um Everything down there is just a little bit different, you know. the the way they The way they go about batting practice, the way they go about you know interacting with each other before and after games is uh, is quite different. So uh, just going into batting practice, the the entire team prays before we start batting practice. Uh, we all get on the knee. Uh, we touch the person next to us. We pray. They have a little prayer box uh, as well. So you know, if you need to put something in there, something that's on your heart, something that's on your mind. Uh, that you want to you want to send up, they do it as a team, and uh, they let the entire team know, and the team kind of backs you and everything, you know, that you have going on away from the field. So they do a prayer, uh, they get in the stretch, they hit, they throw, they go through all that stuff. But they have a ton of different people on the field. They might have, you know, a little kid from, you know, the neighborhood, the neighborhood batting cages that comes, and he's out on the field. He's in center field shagging next to me, or there's a guy who sells a sugar cane. So. They do a ton of different things down there that, you know, just make the entire environment a little more lax, a little bit easier to have fun. And, you know, you're not so worried about work all the time. You kind of remember what it's like to play as a kid. Yeah, that's one thing, Nick. So I've never been to the Dominican Republic to play baseball, but I was there on vacation. And you can tell, I think one thing I took away from my time there was I think the people that I interacted with had a general, uh, more appreciation for life in general. Um, than the average American. So, you know, a, a guy like you, you, you obviously work for, for the job that you, you have, and, mm-hmm. and, there, and it takes a lot of physical uh, time uh, to, to be at the level you are at. But it is kind of – it is a little bit of a different lifestyle. I think that most people live. So 
when you were in the Dominican, you see the appreciation, like you were saying, like they, they let the little kids come on the field because it sounds like they know what it's about, right? That they know what their job is, what role they play in society. Um, 100%. You know, as baseball players. Does that change kind of the way you, you approach, you know, work now that you're back home training for the offseason to go down to spring training? Does that change kind of your appreciation for, for what you do for a living now that you're back? Uh, I definitely think it does. You know, there are kind of those days that I, I can say that I'm not the only one who has them. But there are those days that, you know, sometimes maybe midseason or late season, you come to the field and you're like, man, we got a game today. Like my body is my body's been through it. I'm tired. You know, I woke up late today because, you know, my body's starting to catch up with me. Or I might have this nagging injury. And you look at it as like sometimes you kind of take it for granted and you look at it like a burden instead of looking at it like, you know, you still get to go out and do something that you love each and every day. So uh, seeing these kids come out here with like, some of them don't come out there with batting gloves. They come out with their, you know, or gloves or batting gloves. They come out with their bare hands and they're like, try to catch fly balls or they take them, you know, line drives off the one hop and they're chesting them up. And you got kids who might be like six or seven years old trying to swing these 34 inch, 32 ounce bats in our cages, you know, asking for lessons in between you know, when I have to hit on the field and when I get to do my early work or asking for batting gloves or just different things that I take for granted, like a batting, a pair of batting gloves I use, I might have slid in the third and they might be too muddy for me. You know, they might have clunked up too much. and I might not like the way they feel anymore, so I toss them. But those kids are like, that I'll take whatever batting gloves you have, ripped or not. <laughs> They'll take T-shirts. They take, they take absolutely anything. And then, you know, they bring it to the field the next day and you see them actually use it. Or, you know, the batting gloves you give them might have a hole in them, but somehow, some way, they made it work. And now, that you know, they're swinging a bat the next day. So just seeing the way that they take some of the things we may take for granted, they take them as a blessing. It definitely opened my eyes, you know, coming back and having to play every day. Now I won't look at it like, man, I got to play a game today. My body hurts. Well, I'm like, well, those kids are going to do a lot more than I, than I ever have. So... I might as well come out here and, you know, have fun for the both of us. <clears throat> so uh, I think I saw the video that MLB Cup 4 put out when they were down in the Dominican Republic of you eating, like, the sugar cane and hanging out with those guys and, you know, getting the you know, the videos on Twitter and stuff like that. What was it like <laughs> to get that, that exposure and to be able to kind of, you know, for the rest of the country that, you know, may not know who you are to see the fun you were having with the game and be able to kind of to get yourself out there a little bit? Well, I definitely think that it helps um, – First of all, uh, last year they were talking to guys about going to play winter ball, and I was like, I, I don't think I can go play winter ball. I can't be away from my family that long, or I can't go to a country where I don't know anybody or speak the language. And this year they ended up asking me if I wanted to go, um, just because you know I missed a little bit of time, and there were some things that I'm definitely positive that I had to work on. Um, but just being in that in that situation, and and you know just having to I, it's almost hard to explain. It's kind of hard to explain, you know, just talking about, you know, the things that they go through and bringing it and bringing all that stuff back here. I, I don't know. It kind of hit me a little bit different. So it's kind of something that I want to, that I want to put into action rather than, than talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I totally yeah. get that. So this is this is your first time playing winter ball. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, definitely my first time playing winter ball. But leaving the country and. And coming back and seeing the differences and everything, just I don't know. Yeah. It, it was it was more eye opening, and, and it almost it almost makes me want to tell people you have to go and see it 
you have to go and experience it for yourself rather than just have somebody give you an opinion on it because some guys tell me they go down there and love it and other guys tell me they go down there and hate it you know so it was kind of just to go down there with my arms wide open and like whatever you guys are throwing at me i'm embracing it and the the food that they eat you were talking about the sugar cane the the food that they eat is it's crazy it's healthy some of it's healthy some of it's bad like here but I've, i always eat chicken and rice <laughs> always chicken and rice was like my go-to meal and it was it was cool because the first couple of days i was like all right i'm embracing the culture i'm embracing the culture and then after a while i was like like i've had chicken and rice like eight days in a row so <laughs> <laughs> like i'm kind of over it but at the same time like this is just going through you know these guys eat this before games and then the sugar cane is awesome um it's amazing it tastes good having the exposure of people being like oh well this guy's going down there and he has never been there before so what kind of experience can i go down there and have not being from there that's awesome, man. And and I don't know if you guys get to look at it. Like for, for players, I don't know that you ever get to look at it from, you know, an organizational standpoint. Like I don't know if you ever sit back and go, okay, coach told me to do this. Or maybe it's JJ that told me to do this or whoever it is and, and try to see it from their point of view. But from the outside looking in, you know, I think they're not going to waste their time, uh, you know, asking you to go play winter ball, asking you to try something different if they don't believe in you and have expectations for you. So, you know, for me on the outside looking in, you know, I see, you know, the, the, the organization goes and asks you to play winter ball in the Dominican. Like, I think there's big expectations, man. Like you lead the minor leagues in stolen bases. We know you can go get it in center field. Your ability to get on base, you know, is second to none. So, you know, I think the Royals and the Royals fans now getting to know you, you know, got lofty expectations for you going into the off season, you know, going into spring training has playing winter ball, you know, helped you to prepare differently going into spring training, knowing, man, I'm on the 40 man roster. I am one call away from patrolling center field for a big league ball club. Uh, I, I definitely think it does. Um, going into, uh, playing down there in the, in the Dominican. Um, I had a talk with, you know, either some, it, it, was, it ranged from guys from my teammates to guys in our uh, to people in our front office to our video guys and our hitting coaches and stuff like that. Like, what could I improve on? And kind of the the thing, the overall you know census that I got back was like, hey man, like if you're going to be a leadoff player, you can't you can't punch out as much. So going down there, I think I went into a situation where I was telling myself that I need to focus on selecting a pitch to hit and maybe not being so aggressive early in the count. Uh, down there, they're throwing me oh oh sliders, oh oh change ups and curveballs, maybe even the lead off a game. So those are things that you know I kind of told myself like those are things you need to hone in on. So when you get back here during the off season, you can practice that for a month and a half before you have to go anywhere, before you have to actually apply it. And then that way you got a little time under your belt, and then you go into spring training. You know that. Hey, you're not punching out as much, which means, you know, your arm base percentage goes up or the, you know, the ability for me to put a ball in play and maybe somebody boot a ball or get through or I just beat it out. You know, just anything I can do to help our team win a game, whether it be in AAA next year, whether it be in the big leagues, no matter where it is, I just want to be able to help and contribute. And I think that's what's going to, you know, continue to push me forward. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up punch outs. And I think, you know, Obviously, if everybody could strike out 0% of the time, they would, right? So, I mean, it's obviously 100%. everybody always, you know, they, we can always get better no matter how good we are or something. When, for you, 
personally, when, when you focus on punching out less, is that something that you focus more attention to in terms of making contact when you swing? Or is it something that you just are going to swing more efficiently where you pick your pick your battles more wisely and I'm going to swing at this pitch but not this pitch? Uh, wh- which way have you kind of been working at that? If, if, if Does that make sense? No, it totally does. I think I've been working more towards swinging efficiently rather than rather than you know the opposite i think when i when i swing the bat i want to know that like it's a pitch that i can handle i want to know it's a pitch that i can do something with because i can't tell you how many times during this last season or even down here playing winter ball that um i might have swung at a ball that was in the dirt early in the account you know just because i wanted to be aggressive you know we might start an inning and he throws me a changeup, but i'm swinging at it like it's a fastball because i want to be aggressive so I think now it's more so, you know, picking a location or picking a certain pitch that I want to hit and just sitting on that pitch. And if I get it, I get it. I can't miss it rather than, you know, just swinging at anything that looks like it might be a hittable pitch. And then, you know, that's where I, I get in trouble with the breaking ball. I get in trouble with the changeup. So. Gotcha. That sounds – I mean, that's interesting. You know, I was, I was a pitcher when I played. I, I never did hit. Um, and so for, you know, for guys like us that are, that are probably more than a casual fan, you know, we, we, we love hearing about what you guys are working to improve on. We love getting to know you guys and, and kind of your games. Um, but you know, if everybody, if it was just as easy as, you know, simplifying what we need to, um, do be better at then everybody would be Mike Kraut, right? So uh, <laughs> That'd be I, think, amazing. I think a lot of fans, they think, okay, this guy needs to cut down on his strikeouts and he could be this. Or this guy needs to put the ball or whatever it is, and he could be that. Well, it's you know mm-hmm. not as easy as just saying I need to be better at that, because every time you know you make an adjustment, you leave something else behind. So it's interesting hearing you know the adjustments you guys go about making and 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 putting those into action. Obviously, is is the biggest piece of that. But um, you know, I always find it fascinating what specifically is you guys are working on. So I appreciate you giving a you know the fans and the listeners a. Uh, a little something to go off of and, and kind of what your approach is, you know, as you go about trying to make those improvements that I think, you know, even like you would, like you said, um, the improvements that you felt like you needed to make. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's not like, you know, we just going to fixing what we think we need to fix blindly. Um, it's kind of things that are, you know, just brought to us and the things that, you know, I asked the front office things that I asked my coaches that no matter what level I was at, uh, you know, what can I do to cut down on that? Cause I know, you know, sometimes my uh, aggressive nature gets the best of me at the plate. But just, you know, a census of things over the past couple of seasons and obviously, you know, the minor leagues being a spot where uh, you can develop as a player um, is definitely something that I've, you know, been thinking about and something that I know I need to uh, cut down on if I want to be, you know, the best player I can be. Hitting is so fascinating to me because I was so bad at it that I would get DH'd for when I would play right field in high school. So, like, the, I was so bad. Like, I, and the sad thing is, I wish I was joking. Like, <laughs> that happens to the best of us. It's, it's all a matter. Of, it's all a matter of when you're hot and when you're not. So, yeah. <clears throat> Nick, I know one thing you wanted to get into was. So the Rule 5, if anybody listening doesn't know, the Rule 5 draft, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably already happened. Um, but there's a pitcher available out of the Washington Nationals system. His name is Sterling Sharp. And Sterling Sharp is someone who, if you follow Royals Review at all over at SB Nation, and by the way, this is where the 
uh, podcast runs from this Royals review, so you've probably heard of it. Um, I for the Washington Nationals site, I ran the all season simulation, and basically for three days, thirty different fake GMs play fake off season, and <laughs> just to give a fans kind of like what we're thinking. And, and one guy that I made sure to put on the forty was Sterling Sharp. He wasn't someone that I was willing to let go and be eligible for Rule 5 consideration. Well, I didn't know this. Nick, apparently you have a relationship with Sterling in some way or another. Oh, yeah, that's my man. That's He's, he's good people. I love him. He's really, really funny kid to be around. Uh, he's got his head on his shoulders. Uh, definitely one of those guys that even away from, you know, even away from baseball, even away from you know, plenty of other things, just one of those people that you want to be around. He's always got a positive attitude and jokes around a lot, but he definitely takes his work serious. And, uh, you know, he kind of kind of monitors what goes on around him. He doesn't have any foolishness, but he's definitely one of those guys that, you know, you kind of want in your foxhole. So that's why, that's why I got to know him. That's why we ended up, you know, speaking on a regular basis and becoming friends. For anybody listening that doesn't know, Sterling Sharp attended Drury University um in southern it was at springfield bolivar missouri area um and now like i said he pitched for the washington nationals organization Mm -hmm. um but nick he had offers to play like relatively high level basketball didn't he at a high school yeah he did i did i didn't know this until after i actually met him in person for the first time that he was actually a really really good basketball player so over the past couple seasons i might have played like Fortnite with him or I don't play the show because I suck at the show. So I'm just <laughs> here and act like I'm any good at it. But, uh, you know, games like 2K or just, you know, Call of Duty, stuff like that. So we end up speaking over the speaking over the game every now and again. And I find out from him and a couple other people that are pretty close to him that he was a really, really good basketball player. I guess kid can kind of jump a little bit. So kind of want to see I don't it say, myself as a person. <laughs> I don't want to say he had an offer from Michigan, but I feel like somebody told me he had an offer to go play basketball. He, like had a, he had an offer to play somewhere at a, at a Division One school. It's a pretty big yeah. school. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure. sure it was a decent-sized school. Yeah, and like I said, I don't think it's – maybe not Michigan, but it was definitely a big D1 school in Michigan. Yeah, but, he, so, Nick, we wanted athlete. to ask you while you were here. So, I talked to a teammate of, of Sterling's from Drury University, and we were kind of talking about, you know, the Rule 5 draft, Sterling being available. And, and one thing that, you know, I noticed in watching film and watching – Sterling pitches, he loves to get creative with his delivery. And I think one guy who's made, you know, a couple guys who've made that famous in Major League Baseball are Johnny Cueto, former Royal, who loved he either did the twist or he did the direct step home. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and we watched that fool hitters over and over. And then Marcus Stroman, another, you know, phenomenal athlete, loves to vary his delivery. And hitting is all about timing. Pitching is all about disrupting that timing. And I think there's not a better embodiment of that than Marcus Stroman in the big leagues. So on the site, Twitter account over at Royals Farm, I tweeted and said something like, um, you know, one thing I noticed while watching Sterling pitch was he likes to vary his delivery a little bit. He gets creative on the mound, but then he runs up a crazy ground ball rate, something like 63% at AAA last year, which is yeah. insane for a starting pitcher. Oh, 100%. And, and and Stroman does a lot of his work with that sinker and his two seam getting ground balls. And so one of the first thoughts that I had was, hey, that kind of, in a way, looks reminds me of what Marcus Stroman's all about on the mound. Obviously, Sterling Sharp is not at that level, but just the way they go about it struck me as similar. So then I go over and I see that Sterling Sharp, Marcus Stroman, 
are actually having a conversation about that and, and not our tweet directly. It was another national writer that made a similar comparison. Uh-huh. And I don't know that Marcus Stroman took offense to that in any way, but I think he said something along the lines of because that both Sterling Sharp and Marcus Stroman are black Americans, that that was the instant comparison they were going to get. And there couldn't be another comparison because of the way they look and nobody would be able to get past that. And it struck me as, you know, I didn't even realize when I made that comparison that I could potentially be offending anyone. Um, But I know that I think you and I have talked before, or maybe I've read somewhere on Twitter where you were talking before about the importance of diversity and of race and baseball. Uh, Dayton Moore and the Royals are, are also, you know, big into the diversification and making baseball available for everyone. Definitely. Uh, youth Academy. Um, so I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. What are you, what's your take on, you know, those comparisons? Do you think it's, do you think it's lazy um, to, to, to automatically go with, you know, so comparing someone like Marcus Stroman to Sterling Sharp? What are your overall thoughts on that subject? I don't think it's a lazy comparison. I think if there is something that you legitimately see, you know, um, and one person uh, in comparison to another, then, you know, then obviously that's just your opinion or, or that's just your take on something. But I think the exchange that they had was, um, and I'm glad you brought up the Youth Academy, just the exchange that they had was there aren't that many African-American faces, you know, in baseball. Um, but if you look at football, on the other hand, you might see a ton or you look at basketball or you look at, you know, you know, other or various sports, you might see a ton of one race or one ethnicity or something like that in a specific sport. But I think the, the conversation they were having was just that, you know, in America, uh, just in general, we don't have a lot of African-American faces in baseball. So, um, to, I know Sterling does something back home that he, um, he gives out, uh, an award to, I believe, three or four different children um, in the community, just uh, who've had good grades, who've shown that they can be leaders on and off the baseball field, uh, whether it be in the classroom or whether it be, you know, an after-school program or something like that. Uh, I couldn't tell you the name of the award, but I know he does something like that, and I think it's, you know, I think it's awesome. It encourages kids um, who might not have the means to go play baseball. Um, who, you know, might not think that baseball is for them because, you know, maybe there aren't other African-American kids. So I think it's nice that he's giving back to his community there. Um, it just allows those kids to understand that, you know, if that's what you want to go do, if you want to go play baseball, go play baseball. You don't have to play football. You don't have to play, you know, basketball. But, you know, whatever your choice is is whatever your choice is. But you can go play baseball and, you know, have have a good time out here. You know, the African-American players in the baseball community – uh, we communicate with one another as well as, you know, uh, players in Latin communities and guys, uh, who aren't African American. But I think it's amazing what they're doing. And I think, you know, what he's saying is that, you know, we could use more African American faces in baseball. And, you know, maybe this is our chance to speak up about it. We can use this as our platform to say that, you know, we need more to represent us. For sure. And so, you know, with with the with the Royals doing the Urban Youth Academy, I know that's something they they believe as well. You know that there needs to be more accessibility to the sport. And I know there's a, you know, in, in general, you know, that doesn't even necessarily apply to race at all. So, but it's more about accessibility for people who maybe don't come from as privileged backgrounds 
um, you know, all across the country. And I know um, one thing the Royals want to do is make sure that every kid, no matter who it is, every kid has the ability to play baseball if they want to. And then you see, so you see kids, you know, all across the country who maybe miss out on that opportunity to play baseball um, because of the affordability of it. So you, you just came back from the Dominican where kids literally, you know, that you, like you said, they come out on the field shagging baseballs without gloves. Um, and, and so you've, so you've seen that from the Dominican standpoint and, and knowing that the Royals, you know, that's a big, you know, something they believe in. How important is it for you to use your platform to not only be able to give back and, and maybe not directly give kids the ability to play baseball, if that's something you aspire to, but to influence them, like you said, if you want to play baseball, go play, but also helping kids have that ability to play if maybe they don't have that ability already. I think the big thing for us is just, you know, I think we're we're a very diverse, um, very diverse sport uh, in general, but I think it just allows, you know, guys from, you know, different, different backgrounds or different places to show that, you know, just because I'm, you know, this race or this ethnicity or I'm from here or this was my upbringing doesn't mean, you know, that if I apply everything I have to it, I can't go do it. So um, guys like Sterling, you know, doing that and showing kids from his community that you can do whatever you set your mind to, you know, just you know, keep your head on straight, you know, do your work, go apply everything you learn. And then guys from, you know, I know other guys from, you know, the state of Alabama who are doing camps back there, or guys who are doing camps in California. And it's just showing kids from different demographics that if you want to play baseball, you can play baseball. Just, you know, go out there and give it everything you have. But uh, using our platform is easy because, you know, you get to run into these kids during games or after games. And you get to speak and, you know, this is your chance to interact with them. And, you know, you signing a card or, you know, you telling the kids like, hey, this is what you could do to help further your career. This is really what this is what you really want to do. You know, they look up to us, you know, just like I'm sure a lot of baseball players now looked up to, you know, a baseball player before them. So uh, just having that interaction with them and using your platform to tell them that they can do what they want to do. It's just a positive, it's a positive voice, positive reinforcement and they can, you know, apply that. If somebody I like can go do what they want to do, then why can't I? Absolutely, man. So that's an awesome outlook on everything, right? That's, that's awesome to hear, you know, guys that are, you know, up and coming like yourself, you know, that want to go and help the community and want to, you know, further the game that we all love. I, I love hearing, you know, stories like that. I think that's so cool. Uh, oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So one last point on Sterling Sharper. So I know you know you're good friends with him. Make your case for why the Royals need to, to draft him tomorrow. I think the Royals should draft him tomorrow. I mean, we played against him in high uh, against the Nationals in Potomac, and he ended up um, he ended up having a really good game against him. I he used to talk trash all the time, saying he punched me out, but he never <laughs> punched me out. I just rolled over everything. So that's kind of my arguing case, but. Um, I, I went to watch him during the fall league a few times just because, you know, I had some downtime there before I ended up coming to uh, the Dominican Republic. But I watched him go out there and pitch pretty solid. And uh, he was, you know, mixing in that sinker and it was just getting people to roll over or pop up. They're laid on it. And then he mixes in the change up. It has the exact same action as sinker does. So uh, I think he does a really good job of pitching two guys, even pitching around guys. But, you know, he's smart. He's got his head on his shoulders and I think he's one of the toughest guys for me to face simply because I know I have to put the ball on the ground, but just just 
you know, the action that his stuff has, the way that he mixes up his times, and, you know, stuff like you guys talked about him and Strowman. Sometimes he'll slide step, sometimes he'll quick pitch you. And that's just, that's what's tough about him. I feel like every time I faced him, he's always been one step ahead. And I've had to catch up the entire time, you know, during my at bat. And just when I thought, you know, I had him figured out, or just when I thought that I had the upper hand on him, he mixed something else up and I ended up looking like a goofball off the plate. So. <laughs> Very good, man. So this interview is great, and we don't want to interrupt it for too long, but we do have to get this ad read in, so we'll be right back after a word from the sponsor. All right, so we're back here with Nick Heath. Nick, you are from originally from Decatur, Georgia. You were just telling us uh, while we were on break. So you were from Georgia and went to middle school, high school in Junction City, Kansas, just outside of Manhattan. Were you Did that instill any kind of a Royals fan in you? You know, before like before you were drafted, obviously, did you have any kind of Royals fandom uh, as you were growing up a little bit? As much as I hate to say it, no, not at all. <laughs> um, I was actually a really, really big Braves fan. Fair, um, like fair enough, yeah. Well, my dad—that's who my dad watched. That's who you know. I had cousins <clears throat> who were all the same age. There's about four of us who were all the same age. So uh, we all ended up watching Braves games. Um, we had a minor league team who was the Cardinals, so. I actually was a fan of the Cardinals for a little bit. Oh, and shit. Then, you can't uh, say that. Yeah, it's probably the worst thing for me to say. But <laughs> it's just we had a bunch of different teams. You know, as a kid, you're easily influenced. So I played for a travel ball team in Georgia. Uh, we were called the Astros. And then there was a city league team that I played on with my cousins, and we were the Cardinals. But other than that, I was, I was a huge Braves fan. Me and my dad were always talking about, you know, players like Jeff Francoeur and, and Andrew Jones and guys like that and we just nah, that's kind of what I did I sat down and talked baseball with him for a little bit and then you know I would go back to being a kid and worrying about what I was going to do outside riding bikes and stuff like that who's your favorite player growing up definitely Andrew Jones I just yeah it's the way he took over games you know I you always hear about coaches we have now who got to coach him and I'm like asking questions what was different about this guy and they were like he was just, he was smarter he was he was better. He was always one step ahead of other guys. And, you know, that's just that's just what made him great. And his work ethic was, was always different. It was, you couldn't compare it to a lot of other guys. So, you know, just stuff like that. You know, they kind of mention little things, just stuff that you want to take as a player and, you know, kind of apply to yourself. So maybe it gives you that little edge, you know, later in your career. Maybe it just ups your game a little bit more. Is it fair? <clears throat> excuse me. Is it fair to say you're on the Andrew Jones for the Hall of Fame boat? <laughs> Yeah, throw him in there, please. <laughs> I could not. I mean, first ballot. I know the voters like to be stingy with their first ballots, votes, whatever. But I could not believe he didn't get in on the first ballot. I mean, I, you know, I, he was, you know, in the prime of his career, and I was probably a little too young to really know what I was watching. But everything I've seen from him, you know, since, that is by far the best defensive outfielder I have ever seen. And it's hard for me to fathom how somebody who is that good at his craft doesn't get in. But I hope, and I and I have faith in the voters. I think they're going to let him in eventually. But it's funny you bring him up because I could go on a probably a thirty minute tangent about his <laughs> not getting elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, a, the Hall of Fame seems like such a it seems like such a hard thing to do. I mean, I feel like you have to be liked by everybody. It's not even it's not even what. You 100% do on the field, you know. 
You kind of mm-hmm. have that. You kind of got to have a good reputation off the field. Guys have to go. He was an amazing baseball player, but he was a good dude, and that's what I'm going to remember about him. But I think there, I think there are some guys, you know, who aren't on there yet, who could be on there, or who should be on there. But I don't. That's tough. Who decides who who gets to go in there? Is it former players or no? The Baseball Writers Association of America. So it's it's writers. Like so, I think Jeffrey Flanagan, who writes for MLB.com for the Royals. I think Jeffrey Flanagan has a vote. He does have but a vote. Even if, he does? Yeah, as far as I know. Okay. Yeah, so so it's writers, like guys who cover the team, the guys who get to watch. And so it is interesting that you bring that up, the, the process of all that, because, you know, there's that, there that guy this year who, you know, they only get to vote for 10 players, and so they encourage writers to vote for 10 players every time. And he uh-huh. voted only for Derek Jeter. It's like <laughs> – there, how, there's, how is this guy allowed to have a vote? There's one writer. <laughs> there's one writer that covers the Indians, and he only votes for players that played for the Indians. So like a couple years ago, he only voted it? for Jim Tomey and Omar Vizquel. Okay, well, not to not to discredit their opinions, not to discredit you know the things that they have personally seen on fields, you know, um, which may be the reason they feel like certain guys deserve it and certain guys don't. But why would it not be something that you know the players decide. If I went out and I played, a, if I went out and I played a guy every year for five years, and every time I played him, he was just the most amazing thing to step foot on the field. I'm like, you know, that guy could probably be a Hall of Famer. You know, I think yeah, the best I, way to determine, you know, how good or how amazing a player is going to be is just getting the opinions of, of other players. I totally agree. That's kind of just your best. You know, he was definitely better than I was. <laughs> you know, he well, was not better than this guy, which means, you know, maybe this guy is, you know, top tier or, you know, whatever you may have. But yeah. I don't want to discredit anything that those guys do because obviously their opinions matter. But I for think sure. the best thing to do for to say, you know, the caliber of a certain player is to look at him from a player standpoint. You know, this guy was way better than us on every given night. For sure, and, and I think the problem with that is, is it makes way too much sense, and so Major League Baseball will just naturally be slow to get there. Like we look at, the, you look at the draft, right? They've always held the draft in closed quarters in New York City, and, and I think everybody's like, "Hey, you guys should move the draft to Omaha and do it during the College World Series." And after like ten years of people saying, "Hey, this would be a great idea," Major League Baseball's like, "Hey." We had a great idea. We we're going to move the draft to Omaha, and we're going to let minor league baseball <laughs> players get high if they want to. It's like, all at once, they just like they just stumbled upon these great ideas that nobody have ever had before and claimed them as their own. But I digress. <laughs> I digress. I like that statement. We'll stick with that one. <laughs> so I think, Nick, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you the famous question of every athlete to ever come through Kansas City. What is the best barbecue restaurant in Kansas City? Oh man, that's a tough question because I haven't had all of them yet. What's that's the best my biggest. Had? Is it Q thirty nine? That's a fair answer. Yes, yeah. that's, that's that's at least I was. You know, I was kind of afraid every time I ask that question. I'm afraid we're gonna get some stupid answer like Rosedale's, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like. You know, if every time I ask somebody that, every time I ask somebody that, I'm afraid we're going to have to edit the answer out because they say something stupid. But that is a good answer. And it's almost like that with this point with Kansas Cityans, like you just pray for a good answer. And, and if it's almost a bad answer, if we 
try to avoid. But <laughs> you know who I really too. hope? You know who I really, really hope gets the opportunity to come have Kansas City barbecue? It's Rudy, Mar- Rudy Martin. Rudy Martin. <laughs> Rudy we've, Martin. We've talked to him. Do what? I argue with him so much about who has better barbecue, whether it's Kansas City or Memphis. And me and him never see eye to eye on it ever. Is he from Memphis? Yes, he is. Okay. I don't. So I want him to come to Kansas. I I have to. He has to come to Kansas City at some point. I. I I will say. I buy him the ticket out there whenever he wanted it. (laughs) In the defense of Memphis barbecue, (laughs) one of the greatest barbecue meals that exists is a Memphis pulled pork sandwich with coleslaw on it. That is one of the most delicious things I have ever put in my stomach. So That's that's Rudy's argument every time I talk to him. I was just going to say pulled pork, and you take you, it right out of my mouth. You need to take him to Joe's and get him a Z-Man. The Z-Man will change his life, I promise you. It is Joe's and get him the Z-Man. Have you never had a Z-Man? No, I haven't. That'll not. change your life too, my man. Damn it. <laughs> Thank you. I need all the barbecue spots I can get. So the Z-Man is a brisket sandwich with provolone cheese and an onion ring on top. Jesus Christ, it sounds amazing. Dude, it's <laughs> it's incredible. All right, so it I, is absolutely amazing. So it I, is a life-changing sandwich. So I gotta shift gears here for just a second. So I know you said you, you don't play MLB the show that much. I play it all the time. It's my favorite game. And if you when you get to the majors next year, if you, do, you get the chance, you'll have a card in the game, and you know the you know the speed rating from one to ninety nine. What would your speed rating be? What do you think it would be? Can they give me a ninety nine? <laughs> <laughs> they can. That's like Buxton. No, and, uh, no, no, definitely. I, you know what? I think, I think honestly, before I could say I, I needed a, or wanted a specific rating, I would want to race those guys. You know, just to be in comparison. That's fair. At least for my at least for my own good. Yeah, guys like DJ. DJ could beat me off a line in a heartbeat, which is like what blows my mind. DJ's like the fastest. He's the quickest quick twitch person I've ever met. Yeah, if, if you need any, do like, oh sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. You're, you're good. You're good. I was just DJ's just he's like he's he's super quick twitch off the line. He's he's a blur, and I think what helps me is I end up catching him, you know, over time because my strides are so long, but. I don't know. Like, you know, I want to race those guys. I want to race Gore. I want to race Dyson. I want to see Well, I'm glad you say that because when Terrence Gore and Gerard Dyson were on the same team, they would never race each other. Now, maybe they did behind closed doors and then just didn't tell anybody about it, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it publicly. And it's just like we never got to find out who was fastest. So I'm glad somebody here is about, you know, is about the action of, of getting on a race and letting people know, hey, I beat these guys. You know, it's it's good to hear that because I don't know I don't understand why I didn't want to race. I no, I I totally get it. You know who you know who else is actually very fast and you would not Malcolm Van Buren. Okay. I pitcher? I can put I yes, hey, pitcher. Pitchers are athletes, man. Let's not let's not I, hate here, Alex. I would not take that from you. I would not take that from any pitcher. But I'm telling you right now, Malcolm Van Buren is the fastest pitch I've ever raced in my entire life. Yeah. So if you need, Seriously. Yeah, if you need any perspective on speed in the video game, Alberto Mondesi has 94 speed. If you need to... Mondesi got 94 speed? Yeah. Which I think oh, is low. low balling. I know. I saw that kid hit a triple in, in Springfield, and it looked like he was... Like he took three steps to get the third. It was unbelievable. Watching him run real a lot of fun. Well, maybe I'll be like a 92. Nick, that's, dude, that's still like, pretty I'm good. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. You're going to be in a video game, dude. <laughs> First of all, 
I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that I'm on the 40 man roster. This well, <laughs> what's more important here, the 40 or the video game? I mean, obviously the 40. Cause the 40, because you can bread <laughs> it up, man. Yeah, totally. But, like, at the same time, the video game's kind of cool. Because if I'm like, oh, I'm a little slow, I can bump it up to, like, a 93 or a 94. If that's <laughs> you can bump the rating up a little bit and, like, yo, look where they had me. <laughs> I always like to think that if I was going to be in a video game, it'd be, like, in a zombie survival video game where I'm living. Like, it's post-apocalyptic, right? And I'm living in the woods, and i got to, like, survive all these different waves of zombies. I feel like they have a game like, like that. Yeah. With, well, they, I mean like, but if I had to be in one like that, that would be my, that would game. be the game. That'd be the, that'd be the one I'd survive the best. I don't know. I don't know how I survive against zombies, man. Those things. Like if you put like me in a game, they're smarter than they come off. <laughs> <laughs> if I was going to be in a video game, like a football video game, like an NFL player is running me over. Like I don't stand a chance. No. In baseball, we've seen how that played out. It fizzled out pretty quick. In basketball, I am not tall, fast, strong, or can shoot enough to survive. Like you got to put me in something where where like I can fit in and like not get you know posterized every time down the court. So so totally a first person shooter. Yes. Well, I, I don't know. That. I don't know about that either. I'd probably get run over in that game too. <laughs> get in like, that too. I, but like in the zombies, yeah. zombies can't shoot back in any game that I've ever seen. So I think it makes it a little more fair for me, a little more level playing field. Yeah, but how do those guys get trapped in zombie movies? I just don't understand. You back yourself into a corner, and you're like, oh, crap. That's what I'm saying. Like, you got you got to be out in the open. Like, what move? Oh, you've you seen Breaking Bad. I've seen some of it. I haven't seen all of it. My favorite should probably get more into Bad it. is they're arguing about which zombies are, like, more competitive and I can't remember which game he said. Was it was it was it World War Z and uh and Dawn of the Dead? Yes, well, and he goes for at least yeah. those zombies in Dawn of the Dead run a respectable forty. You gotta lead them. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So if I were to be, I, big, I, I would love to be in a baseball video game because I was a lefty that threw everything <laughs> below hitting speed, so I could get at least a couple swings and miss. <laughs> I you was can, like, you can my, definitely get some swings and misses. My, my, my peak fastball was like Jamie Moyer in his last year. Like I was like throwing oh 75 God. from the left side, just like floating it up there and just praying it wasn't getting it smashed. Yeah, but you get the yeah, but you get the pop up the short and you did your job, so you're fine. I had at least Dude, those were always the those are always the hardest guys to hit in the show. Like you get Darren O'Day in there. Oh god. And it's like dude, if you don't throw a perfect pitch at Darren O'Day, the circle stays on the screen while the pitch is coming in. How have we not fixed that yet? So somebody got to tag the show for me. Like, how have we not gotten Darren O'Day's circle, like the meter for his pitch, off the screen while I'm trying to hit? I don't know. I'm I the worst show know. player of all time, so I can't get into you anything. <laughs> I can't get into anything about that. All right, so I, I'm going to steal a question here from one of my favorite baseball podcasts. I actually got two for you. But the first one, if you could stand in the box against any pitcher from any era, not to try and like size him up, but just to see what it looked like. Well, who Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson. Five hundred percent. Screw that. No, that. I would saw be... a video of him throwing behind somebody, like behind somebody's head, up and behind somebody's head, and whoever it was, middle of bat, turned their helmet around, so it was on their head backwards, <laughs> and then got in the other batter's box, made it back. And I don't know. I, the people like the announcer laughed about it. I, I saw it on Twitter like three or four days ago. I can't remember the guy's name. Man, that but would I be... would definitely want to see Johnson. If I knew I couldn't get hit, 
Just let him throw his hardest pitch. That would be so, like, I, was, I just want to see what it looks like. I'm a righty, and that would still be just terrifying. <laughs> Some of these yeah, guys want, seem like they'd freak me out of the plate. I want no parts of that. That, well, would be, that is like the most horrifying experience I can think of, and Nick's like, let me at it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I want to see it if I know I'm not going to get smoked. All right, Alex, <laughs> who would you pick? So if I had to face somebody? No, just like you, you're just standing in the box and you're just looking at it. Like you're not trying to hit him. Like Tim Wakefield. Tim Wakefield? Oh, knuckleball. I've never seen a knuckleball thrown relatively like – I've never seen anything do that. Like I, it almost looks like it's physically impossible. And so I want to see a ball dance like Wakefield or R.A. Dickey used to make him dance. Because it's, it's like you watch the ball move and it's almost like – the ball reverses direction three times before it gets to home plate. It doesn't feel like that should be possible. And they're throwing it. It's not like they're throwing it like 40 miles an hour, right, where it has time. They're throwing the damn thing like 70 miles an hour. And it's. It, I don't understand how it is, like the physics of how that ball is able to change direction so often. But I'd love to just stand there and watch that thing float two or three times because I don't. I feel like it's not real. Like my brain has a really hard time understanding that. There was a guy from the Drillers this year that did that. Oh, his, uh, what's his name? I, I know exactly. Whitey. He was an older guy. Yeah, I remember exactly who you're talking about because I would say so he was doing it. The yeah. first, my first at bat, he threw me a heater first pitch, and then after that, it was just all knuckleballs, and I was like, "Is anybody else seeing this, or is this just me?" <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, I, I look would... at the catcher, and he's got a first base mitt on behind the plate, and I'm like, "Okay, all right, this is real life." So I yeah. guess I'm not. <laughs> I, I watched him pitch a couple times in. Uh, in Tulsa this year and I was sitting next to the dude that was running the track man for uh for the drillers and I was watching it and it, the spin rate was open it was just zero one zero <laughs> zero like, it was I'm like it bizarre. was terrible it was so hard to get a barrel on yeah but if I if I had to pick one pitcher it would definitely be Pedro Martinez because I got to see that change up oh my gosh yeah I still want no parts of that oh, Rivera's cutter oh god Jeez. oh Rivera heavy. Nick, have you ever heard the story about Salvi catching him in the All-Star game? No, I haven't. So I, apparently Salvi goes back. I, I was not there. I just, I've heard the interview. So apparently Salvi goes back there and Mariano Rivera just goes, all cutters, you pick the side of the plate. Like, not even, not even no a discussion way. about what else we're going to throw. Not a discussion, no signs. You set up on one half of the plate, I'm going to throw you a cutter. Like, the, <laughs> catch it, and I don't want to. I don't want to call it arrogance because it's not arrogance. It was. It's just confidence. Like the arrogance to go back there and be like, I throw one pitch, they can't hit it, and we're gonna go home in an all star game. We're not talking about seven, eight, nine, and the Marlins lineup. And I don't mean to dig at the Marlins, but seven, eight, nine, and some poor lineup. We're talking about the all star game. He's like, I'm gonna throw one pitch, and we're gonna go sit down. That's absolutely beautiful. If there's one person I would, if I could stand in the box, I would swing just to see how many times he breaks my bat. Oh man! Like he would break, like, he would break four at at least four bats. I've heard stories of guys who go to the plate against him with like 28 inch bats and like what they call them, like little, like just like a little saw almost, and just like hope that their bat didn't break. Like especially like left-handed hitters. I think it was feel like maybe it was like Jim Tomey or Jason Giambi before. He got to the Yankees that said when they faced, you know, a left-handed hitter, when they faced Rivera, would take like a 28, 29-inch bat to the plate because there was no other way to hit it. That sounds awful. (laughs) I would never want anybody to do my bat like that. I love my bats. Yeah, well, good thing he's gone because he (laughs) caused a bunch of nightmares for 
fans of every other team. <laughs> All right. All right, Nick, I, I got one last question here, and then we'll, we'll get you out of here. Thank you so much for your time tonight. This has been yeah, no incredibly fun. And, again, I'm going to steal the question from starting nine here, but if you could go back and watch one moment in baseball history live in person, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's a, that's a tough question. See, I can't answer with one. I would have, like, a top ten. You know what I really, really want to see? It's kind of really going to sound messed up. The ball that went through that guy's legs at first base. Oh, Buckner? Oh, in no. the game six? Oh. <laughs> I would definitely want to see that in person. Man. That sounds messed up, but, like, I just – I I, I kind of want to know what it would be like as a fan of the home team and <laughs> the away team, you know? Like, people rooting for that play to happen. Like, thank God we just got a rollover. But, <laughs> you know, I would want to see, you know – the crazed fandom from both sides of that from both sides of that uh, event I mean that is an iconic baseball moment though like that was... I see it all the time and I'm like how does this guy feel like I part of me wants to know how it feels but at the same time like please don't ever let anything like that happen to me <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like yeah. if I was in the stands and I saw that I think it's tough being a baseball player to go watch baseball because Everything, everything is probably something you would have done different until you're actually in the game and it's happening to you real time. So, I kind of understand. I understand, you know, they're being very upset as a fan side of that. But I kind of want to know what it's like. I, that's something I want to see, like in person. I want to be in the stands for that moment. Joel, it's funny you ask that question. I've always thought about that, and I think one thing that would be interesting is when Hank Aaron broke the home run record. Like there were fans that just were like got on the field yeah. and were able to run with him to home plate without getting and, absolutely smoked by security. Like and jumping on his fans. back and everything. Yeah. Like Nick, imagine if two fans got onto the field and were running around the bases with you. Like how fast some, like some security guard would put them in the dirt. And they just I think they'd make it off the warning the track before there was ten guys on the field waiting for <laughs> Right. I, I think that'd be crazy like just to, like obviously different times, but I always thought that'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. times aren't uh, times aren't weren't as dangerous then. I feel like as they are now. You know? Yeah, yeah. Somebody run on the field now, you'd be like, "Oh no, we gotta go." Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I had to pick one, I mean, it gets so tough because there's so many. Just because I'm a baseball nerd that I could go back and think about, but I would just want to go watch Sandy Koufax pitch in his prime. Because I, I I was a lefty, like just to watch one of the best lefties of all time do it, like I I couldn't turn that down. Oh my goodness. I heard Dr. Andrews say one time, every time Sandy Koufax got done pitching, his elbow would swell up like a balloon, and they would take a needle and let his elbow, like, drain after every start. Good God. Because his elbow was so messed up. And I can only imagine the pain associated with your elbow looking like a balloon, and then them literally just popping it with a needle and say, okay, well, there you go. go on. Didn't I have, like, Tylenol and stuff back then, or what? You just had to kind of wear it. Those guys what, are, what years did he pitch? He was in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, like, they, I mean, it was... Like and he and to think of it, like he retired after ten years. Like yeah, those guys, those guys are a different breed. I don't I don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> go. I'm like fifteen to twenty straight games. I'm like, yeah, can I get an ice bath, please? Doctor, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> My body hurts. You guys playing? You guys playing five hundred games straight, and and it doesn't. I'm, whatever. I, I know, played a power to you. I hope I get there one day. I played <laughs> I freaking all in the meantime. I played a freaking slow pitch softball game. Like I played slow pitch softball all through high school, and I hit a double, and I was freaking winded by the time I got to second base. 
Oh, shit. Uh, everyone listening to this, you'll already know this by now, but breaking news, Rendon to the Angels, seven years, 245. What? That's it? Seven years, seven, seven for 245. Million? Jeff Passan just reported it. That feels low. I agree. All right. Well, there's that. 245 still in a ton of money. Yeah. Like, he, he yeah, still got no. significantly breaded up, but man. <laughs> yeah, you would never hear me say no to that, but... <laughs> Wow, Garrett Cole got three twenty-four. He got eighty million more with two less years. Wow, well, okay, that's not. I mean, it's a little low, but but hey, Trout's got some protection though, so that's going to be nice. You guys think we'll Soto's going to get? You guys think Soto's going to get more than that? Soto's going to get Whatever three. Bill. He, he's going to get three hundo at least. Well, when's his? What was this year two for him? Yeah, so he's so, he'll be twenty twenty. Dude, he's gonna make five hundred thousand dollars this year. That's just I hate that. Oh my god, they're stealing, they're stealing talent. I'm stealing money. We probably ought to stop here because I could probably. Yes, yeah, I that. I could go on and on and on, but hey, Nick, that man, thank you so much for this. This has been awesome. This won't be the last time, I'm sure. Uh, but for anyone. That uh, follow you know that follows you and follows what you know we do, and they don't follow you on Twitter. Where where can they do that? Where can they follow me on Twitter? Yeah, like what's your Twitter handle? Oh, at InHeathBeatsTrust. It's the same thing for for my Instagram and my Snapchat and all that other nonsense. Cool. We, we, I just want to do a quick social media plug so that we can get you out there a little bit, get your followers up a little bit. You're about you're gonna be a big leaguer soon. We got we got to get those followers up. I love that out of you guys. You guys are the best. <laughs> thank you so much, man. This has been a lot of fun. No, thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure.